For the best audio experience, you may want to wear headphones or earpods, or just listen however you like to listen. In this episode of Quakers Today, we ask, how has your view of Jesus, God, or religion changed since you were young? Hayden Hobby was raised in an evangelical church. He reflects on leaving an abusive God and finding a new way of expressing faith. Calliope George, a young adult and lifelong Quaker, continues to find her place in Quaker meetings. She talks about community within her age group and beyond. And I will tell you about a new book that explores forests around the world. In the tree line, Ben Rollins connects with indigenous leaders who have been guardians of threatened wild spaces. He hopes his readers will learn how to think like a forest. I'm Peter Santoscano. This is the fourth episode of Quakers Today, a project of Friends Publishing Corporation. The first season of Quakers Today is sponsored by Quaker Voluntary Service. Hayden Hobby is a youth worker and worship leader in Richmond, Virginia. He is also currently working toward a master's in spiritual and social transformation. He studies in a program taught jointly by Bethany Theological Seminary and Earlham School of Religion. Hayden wrote the essay, Surviving Religious Trauma, How I Left an Abusive God. I asked him to share some of his story and to read excerpts from the piece. I'm, yeah, a lifelong follower of Jesus, among a lot of other things. Just had a really, a really big impact on my life. Had good and bad impacts on my life along the way, but it's definitely been a really big part of my identity. I still would say that I identify as a Christian, but I like saying that I'm a follower of Jesus because it puts a little bit of distance between what I think of as the religion and then what I think of as the lifestyle, the action and the practices and the the lived out expression of what we think of as Christianity. I was raised in a hyper-conservative evangelical Christian tradition that believes sin deserves severe and eternal punishment, and that Jesus bore that punishment, wrath and abandonment of God that my sins deserved. I was taught that no matter how good I thought myself to be, I deserved hell just for existing, and had it not been for Jesus' death, that's exactly what I would get. The resulting religious trauma that I sustained from this backward theology as a child and young adult wasn't physical, but it was emotional and psychological. And like most forms of trauma, it was still the result of violence. As a result, I spent a lot of formative years trying to somehow hold and understand the paradox that God loved me and wanted to spend eternity in heaven with me, but would just as quickly damn me to eternal hellfire for not believing in Jesus. That's a big contradiction to attempt to hold as a 13-year-old, and eventually my faith broke like a wishbone. The wishbone really felt like a fitting metaphor for a few reasons. One, because I think we, all, so many of us have experienced that crack that comes when a wishbone is split. And in so many ways, I kind of felt that within my own self at some point, like my faith kind of just snapped. But then there's also this kind of sense of luck or good fortune around wishbones as well. This kind of like sense of things will go well one way or not well the other way. And and in many ways, I feel like I got lucky or might say blessed or fortunate in the way that my faith broke and that I think that it eventually made my faith stronger. Whereas I saw so many people who's had similar splits and cracks in their faith 
not end up as fortunate as I did. Yeah, there was a lot of, definitely a lot of fear and shame associated with where I was in my kind of faith trajectory at that point. The fear of breaking down something that had been such a secure source of, yeah, a source of security for me for such a long time. And the shame of, it's it's, it's really hard to put your finger on exactly what it is that causes all of the shame in that process, but there there is a lot going on there. <laughs> I think a huge part for me again, kind of in overcoming those things was just in a helpful way, getting away from some of the communities and people that would not have allowed me to be in that space. And it's so easy to just want to jump from one thing right into something else, just because you really know that you need to get out of whatever it is, but you hate the idea of being nowhere. And I think that there's a an innate truth in our desire to be somewhere, to be with a group and to be with other people who will look out for us. I think I think that's something that can work in our benefit generally. But I think there are times when it is most healthy to, for a time, be okay with being nowhere while you figure out where it is that you need to be. It's so important to be mindful of of why something was written and who it was written to and the culture and the context around how scripture was written. But it's also so beautiful that we can draw so many things out of these stories and these parables that can have so much meaning for us in so many different ways. Who we perceive God to be drastically impacts the way that we live our lives. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, a man goes on a journey and leaves his servants with shares of his property one with five talents, the second with two, and the last with one. The first two go and invest their talents, making more for their master when he returns. But the other servant, it says, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. When confronted, the servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. So unlike the others, this servant receives very harsh treatment from his master, who takes away his talent and gives it to the one who now has ten. Jesus concludes this parable by saying, To anyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. One of the main conclusions to be drawn from this parable is the importance of capitalizing on the gifts God gives you. However, I think another equally important conclusion may be drawn about how our perceptions of God impact our actions and God's perceived reactions. The quote-unquote wicked servant in this parable chooses not to invest his master's money out of fear because he knew him to be a hard man. When we think of God as hard or strict, we will always bury the gifts that God gives us, afraid of the anger that losing them might prompt. However, like the master in the parable, the God, who prompts fear, will not be happy with our response, and any hardship we endure will inevitably be seen as a punishment for our lack of faith. If, however, we're able to see ourselves as those who have received the most, we may begin to understand the fearless servant who invests the gift of faith, knowing that regardless of the outcome, it's not punishment that awaits but a joyful welcome of well done, my good and faithful servant. I've found a lot of hope in the past couple of years in seeing how 
much I've been able to progress from this kind of dark place of questioning and not really knowing what to make of my faith or how it would impact my life into having a really messy but beautiful faith that's still growing and still being put back together. I don't think that's something that's really ever going to end. I think my whole life is going to be this process of fitting pieces together and growing and figuring out what it means to be a spiritual person in a physical and spiritual world. That was Hayden Hobby sharing his essay, Surviving Religious Trauma, How I Left an Abuse of God. It appears in the February 2023 issue of Friends Journal. You can also read it at friendsjournal.org. I was first introduced to Quakerism as a two-year-old, I believe. <laughs> I am Calliope George, currently living at Pennington Friends House in New York City, learning so much about the Quaker process as a child gave me tools to really listen and search for conversation and understanding. It became very much part of my life. Quakerism was always very grounding space for me throughout my whole life. But in college, when I was away from my home community, I started to, you know, feel that longing for the space of home and stillness and reflection that Quakerism really brought. Young people's schedules look very different from a lot of weighty friend schedules. That's really beautiful to be able to have intergenerational relationships with one another and be able to spend time together. I think sharing actual time and space together, whether virtually or in person, that's really important that we do that and practice that. That being said, friends, regardless of age, are going to have different responsibilities in their own personal lives that sometimes don't allow for as much contribution. Recognizing that and giving space to thank those who recognize that and are still able to be warm and welcoming and inviting for when friends do have time and space is beautiful. And I've really, really appreciated all of the communities I've been part of acknowledging that can be difficult to balance sometimes, but always, always being open and inviting. This idea of constant conversation and queries and looking within and seeing good in other people and other things, finding bridges to have hard conversations. I think my generation really appreciates that and in a lot of ways is searching for that. Continuing to be spaces where we uplift those challenging conversations and provide tools to have tough conversations is really, really important now more than ever. That's something that I incredibly appreciate. That was Calliope George in an excerpt from the Quaker Speak video, My Experience as a Young Adult Friend. You will find the full video and other Quaker Speak videos at the Quaker Speak channel on YouTube or visit quakerspeak.com. The series is produced by Rebecca Hamilton Levy. New videos come out every other Thursday. One of the positive changes that came about during the COVID-19 lockdowns was the increased appreciation of being out in nature. Individuals in small groups went on hikes, read in parks, meditated in their backyards, or just looked out their windows. In his new book, The Tree Line, The Last Forest, and the Future of Life on Earth, Ben Rollins writes, quote, 
If we want to be part of the assemblage of species that co-evolves to survive the coming upheaval, then we need to revive that essential entanglement with other living things. We all need to learn once again to think like a forest, end quote. Rollins journeys around the world to see many forest and tree species. This includes the balsam, poplar, and Manitoba, Canada. Rollins writes, quote, The indigenous people who have lived here ever since the land rose out of the water in their creation myth around 8,000 years ago, they do not imagine humans as separate from the land, but as part of a total system, one organism, end quote. Rua Swenerfeld, in a review of the book, says it is, quote, beautifully written, almost poetic at times. Author Ben Rollins takes us on a deeply felt journey encircling the globe in the boreal forest, a green lung that is a nearly continuous green ring and essential to the planet's health by inviting the reader to meet the trees and the indigenous people who depend upon them. Rollins helps the reader to understand how the trees and the cultures are intertwined, and how seriously they are physically and culturally endangered from climate change. End quote. The book is The Tree Line, The Last Forest and the Future Life on Earth by Ben Rollins. It was published by St. Martin's Press. It's available wherever you get books. You can read Rua Swinnerfelt's full review of the book in the February issue of Friends Journal or over at friendsjournal.org. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Quakers Today. Quakers Today is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Music on today's show comes from Epidemic Sound. Visit quakerstoday.org to see our show notes and a full transcript of this episode. And if you stick around after the closing, you will hear listeners' responses to the question, how has your view of Jesus, God, or religion changed since you were young? Season one of Quakers Today is sponsored by Quaker Voluntary Service. Are you between 20 to 30 years old? Are you looking for community and purpose-driven work? Well, then consider applying to QVS, a year-long fellowship for young adults. Fellows work at nonprofits while building community and exploring Quakerism. Applications are open through February 28, 2023. Visit slash apply and follow QVS on Instagram at Quaker Voluntary Service. As host of this show, I'd love to hear your comments, questions, and requests. Email podcast at friendsjournal.org. Thank you, friend. I look forward to spending more time with you soon. show is officially over, but I actually have more to share with you. We have a question of the month. How has your view of Jesus, God, or religion changed since you were young? And a bunch of people responded. I'm going to share some answers in a moment. But we have a question for our next show for you to consider. And this one's really important because we've been through this time of COVID and many of us lived lives online and may still live lives online, including where we worship. I think a lot of people are not quite sure, now what do we do? Do we carry this on? How do we do it? What's a hybrid? Do we want a hybrid? So here's your question. 
What are your thoughts and feelings about virtual online communities or worship? What are your thoughts and feelings about virtual online communities or worship? I'd love you to leave a voice memo with your name and the town where you live. You don't have to give your full name. You can just give your first name. The number to call is 317-QUAKERS. That's 317-782-5377. Or just 317-QUAKERS. Plus one if you're calling from outside the United States. You can also send an email. I have these contact details in our show notes over at quakerstoday.org. Now we hear your answers to the question, how has your view of Jesus, God, or religion changed since you were young? Hello, my name is Jolene Curry. I don't know what the definition of young is, but my experience is that uh, Jesus is very, very important to my understanding of who God is. I see him as being God's manifestation basically on the planet. The change since I was very young is that I've experienced this to be true as an adult. Uh, Before, when I was a child, I was taught about Jesus versus experiencing him first person. As a Quaker, I have been learning about whether or not for sure he was God. I guess I feel like that's above my pay grade to say for sure, but I do know that I've experienced God or the Spirit through Jesus. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that I'm actually interacting with now, but it's all a mystery in terms of how much that's Jesus per se. I call God Jesus most of the time, and I don't find that to be a problem (laughs) with my relationship with God. And I also experienced the Holy Spirit to be a pretty universal thing going. Most of the time I deal with people in the Quaker movement as being also on more or less the same plane, relating with the same Holy Spirit that I am. And yet um, there are some that I don't experience that with. And it, it um, for me, that's just a cause of concern and something that I want to pray about want to pray about and pray pray for these people that I don't experience that with, but it's not uh, an intimidating or frightening thing. It's just part of the reality of walking. I certainly experience that in the churches that are not Quaker also. Thank you for asking the question. Hi, my name is Chris Enquist. I'm calling from San Francisco. Well, my views of Jesus changed radically, probably within the last six years. I was playing keyboards for a Lutheran church, and the minister was speaking about one of the Gospels. I believe it's the one where St. Paul is talking about how if there's no resurrection, our religion is a joke, and we're pathetic. Well, he was talking about this and discoursing on it, and I was just sitting there, kind of my mind drifting in and out. And it occurred to me, well, what if Jesus wasn't divine and he didn't he wasn't resurrected would you still follow him and i thought to myself yes i would and my next question went to my mind was well why and my answer was because i like his values i like what he's laying down and it was that i didn't think much more about it but the more i thought about it after the service i thought hmm that's interesting well 
a couple of months after that, or some months after that, I had a little event of serendipity. I came across this book named Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, by a Muslim writer named Reza Aslan, and it purported to be a biography of Jesus. And I read it, and it completely changed my mind about Jesus, completely. It made me realize that, yes, he probably did live. And no, he wasn't divine. He probably died on the cross and did not resurrect. But that wasn't important. What was important was his message and how he lived. The book also uh, was quite a book. It was really kind of changed my whole view about Jesus, the church, church history, etc., what I had been taught and what I had learned over the years. But that's how my views changed. That's it.